You are hosting a birthday party. Any fun party needs lots of balloons, and you are in charge. There are many different balloons to choose from based on size, shape, and material. You gather an assortment to sample blowing into and letting go of. Your first balloon is normal and takes very normal effort to make. The second balloon is made of a stiffer material and does not expand as much, but releases the air with no trouble. You blow into the third balloon. It is bigger than the rest and needs little effort to inflate, but releases the air very slowly. Think of our lungs as these balloons. The effort needed to breathe can vary based on the underlying physiology. Similar to the balloons, sometimes it is difficult for the lung to perform its function, such as to expand or recoil. We can see those changes when we study our lung function. Today, we will be interpreting pulmonary function tests, and you are the doctor. Welcome to The Internet Work, a podcast made by internal medicine residents meant to serve you better on the wards and on call. Today's episode is all about an approach to pulmonary function tests. Let's start with our minute physiology by reviewing respiratory mechanics. The respiratory system functions primarily to transfer oxygen from our environment into our bloodstream, where it can then be sent to different organs in our body. Respiration requires the neural drive to breathe, a patent upper airway, neuromuscular function of the respiratory muscles such as the chest wall and diaphragm, adequate space in the thorax, and appropriate function of the lung parenchyma and interface with the bloodstream. As such, many factors affect the way we breathe. Integral to respiration is the drive to breathe, as the lungs, unlike the heart, do not have intrinsic automaticity. This relies on chemoreceptors, particularly in the central nervous system, that detect the pH of our tissues and stimulate breathing mechanics. To inhale, we need to generate negative pressure in the thorax to allow air to enter our airway following a pressure gradient. Boyle's law states that at a constant temperature, the pressure of a gas is inversely proportional to its volume. Inspiratory muscles increase volume of the thoracic cavity. Per Boyle's law, increase in lung volume creates a decrease in pressure. Therefore, movement of the diaphragm during quiet respiration creates a negative intrathoracic pressure and causes air to move from the environment to the alveolar spaces. Additional use of accessory muscles can be recruited in the setting of more vigorous respiratory patterns that occur with exercise or respiratory distress that may occur with many respiratory diseases. Remember that air travels from areas of high pressure to low pressure. The negative intrapulmonary pressure is less than atmospheric pressure, so air flows into the lung parenchyma until both pressures are equal. Exhalation relies predominantly on passive recoil of lung tissue during quiet respiration. The diaphragm returns to its resting position. Other respiratory muscles, like the intercostal muscles, can also be recruited for forced exhalation or increased respiratory demands. These muscles reduce intrathoracic volume, causing a subsequent increase in intrapulmonary pressure following Boyle's law. When intrapulmonary pressure surpasses that of the environment, air can exit the airways following the high to low pressure gradient. The final step for gas exchange is diffusion of gases from alveoli to the bloodstream. The surface of alveoli are very thin to allow for maximum gas exchange, so oxygen can travel to the bloodstream, then to the rest of the body. Alright, now that we understand the basics of respiratory mechanics, let's dive into pulmonary function testing. Pulmonary function tests, also known as PFTs, are a set of tests used to measure lung function. What do the PFTs tell us about our lungs? They tell us about the airways, parenchyma, including the alveoli and interstitium, pulmonary vasculature, the surrounding thoracic structures like the diaphragm and chest wall, and capacity for gas exchange. 
Due to the vast amount of information they can provide, PFTs serve many different purposes. PFTs are used for evaluation and diagnosis of symptoms and disease like dyspnea, COPD, and interstitial lung diseases. They can be used to screen for pathology in select populations such as firefighters and coal miners who have high inhalation risk. We also use PFTs to monitor medications that are toxic to the lungs, such as amiodarone or certain chemotherapy drugs. PFTs can be used for preoperative risk stratification and optimization, such as for patients undergoing lung resections. Finally, they are also used as a prognostic indicator for disease severity, response to therapy, and level of disability. Alright, so now that we've talked about the uses of pulmonary function testing, let's talk about the components. Pulmonary function testing is an umbrella term referring to a large selection of tests to measure lung performance. The main components are spirometry, lung volumes, and diffusion capacity. While spirometry can be done in many outpatient clinics, lung volumes and diffusion capacity require more specialized equipment and are performed in pulmonary function laboratories. Arterial blood gas, pulse oximetry, six-minute walk test, bronchoprovocation testing, and cardiopulmonary exercise testing are examples of other tests for lung function. Today we'll focus on the main components. Spirometry measures dynamic lung volumes, how much air and how fast it moves through the lungs with maximal inspiration and exhalation. Generally speaking, this is the primary test to assess for airflow obstruction that can occur in the setting of obstructive lung diseases, such as asthma or COPD. There are several components of this. Let's go through them one by one. The patient is first asked to breathe normally. This measures your tidal volume, the volume of air that enters and exits the lung in a regular breathing cycle. This is usually 500 ml or 7 ml per kilogram. The patient is then asked to breathe in as deeply as they can. Next, patients will be asked to blow out as hard and as fast as they possibly can for a minimum of 6 seconds. The total volume of air that moves out of the lung during full inspiration and full expiration is known as the forced vital capacity, or FVC. The volume of air that is expired during the first second of this maneuver is known as the FEV1. Both of these values are critical to spirometry interpretation. Therefore, spirometry tells us the tidal volume, forced vital capacity, and the FEV1. Finally, spirometry is often repeated after use of a bronchodilator like Ventolin. This is helpful to distinguish reversible airflow obstruction like an asthma from non-reversible diseases. Spirometry also measures the amount of air exhaled at certain time points after maximum inspiration. This creates the volume time graph with volume exhaled on the y-axis and time on the x-axis. This is useful to measure forced expiratory volume in one second, or FEV1, as well as the FVC. Another graph we can gain from spirometry is the flow volume loop, which measures rate of airflow on the y-axis to volume on the x-axis. This is included in most spirometry reports as well. During expiration, there is an initial rapid increase in flow. The maximum point is the peak expiratory flow rate. Remember, volume is on the x-axis. Therefore, the total width of the loop is the forced vital capacity. Spirometry can only measure dynamic lung volume, including the FVC, but cannot measure the total lung capacity since we do not know how much air is left in the lungs after a forced expiration, known as the residual volume, or RV. To calculate the RV and total lung capacity, or TLC, our static lung volumes, there are two main methods, gas dilution using helium or nitrogen, and body plethysmography. 
body plethysmography is preferred because it measures all compressible gas in the thorax and works by calculating changes in pressure and volume in a closed system. In comparison, gas dilution methods only measures ventilated areas of the lung that communicate with the upper airways and therefore can miss air in other areas of the thoracic cavity, such as in hernias or bullae. As such, gas dilution can underestimate lung volumes. The first step in static lung volume assessment is calculating the functional residual capacity, or FRC, using the methods above, which is the amount of air left in the lungs after normal tidal expiration. From spirometry, we can measure expiratory reserve volume, the maximum volume of air that can be exhaled after tidal expiration, residual volume, the air left in the lungs after complete forced expiration, is calculated by subtracting expiratory reserve volume from FRC. Finally, the total lung volume is the residual volume plus the forced vital capacity. Therefore, full lung volumes on PFTs include forced residual capacity, residual volume, and total lung capacity. Diffusing capacity, or DLCO, demonstrates the effectiveness of gas exchange by using very small quantities of carbon monoxide, 0.03%, as a surrogate for oxygen. Carbon monoxide is used as it diffuses easily in blood and is not normally found in the lungs or bloodstream. DLCO is dependent on the exchange capacity of the lungs, alveolar volume, and amount of red blood cells for gases to bind to. Therefore, DLCO is adjusted for hemoglobin and alveolar volume. Low hemoglobin and alveolar volume would show as a reduced DLCO if unadjusted. Similarly, polycythemia and high alveolar volume would falsely elevate DLCO. DLCO is measured in milliliters per millimeter of mercury per minute. CBC is done in conjunction with PFTs to correct DLCO with hemoglobin. That concludes our first episode in a two-part series on approach to PFTs. In this episode, we reviewed normal respiratory mechanics, indications for PFTs, and their main components. In the next episode, we'll discuss how to interpret PFTs. This episode is written by Dr. Anandita Das, internal medicine resident, and edited by Dr. Kori Yamashita, respirologist, and Dr. Dresser, clinical pharmacologist and general internist. This episode is recorded by Leia Karianopoulos, music by Lakshman Vasanthamon. The Internet Work series was created by Allison Lai and developed by Zara Morali and Leia Karianopoulos. As always, don't forget to check out our website, www.theinternetwork.com, for associated infographics and resources. Thank you for listening, and we hope to see you again soon. Thank you.